0: Aren't you glad today that your sins are forgiven? Amen. Amen, right? In our last study of Matthew, we read the record of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ around 2000 years ago outside of Jerusalem at a place called Calvary or uh, Golgotha, the place of the skull. Jesus bled and died to take the penalty of our sin. It has incredible implications for your life here today for mine. We live forgiven. Jesus cried out on the cross, Oh my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, he became sin who knew no sin that in him we might become the righteousness of Christ or of God. Christ became sin on our behalf that we might be forgiven. Now we know the end of the story, but let yourself go back to that day in your mind. And the devil was certain that he was victorious. The religious rulers were satisfied that their scheme to... Get rid of Jesus had come to pass. The disciples had all fled, all except a man named Joseph of Arimathea, Matthew tells us. And also, um, you know, there was another member of the Sanhedrin uh, that was with him. Some of the women also that closely observed where Jesus' body was put, where where he was laying in the tomb of Joseph. As they watched his body be taken into the tomb, the uncertainty and disappointment quickly crept in. But is that the end of the story? Matthew chapter 28, beginning at verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow, and the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come and see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him, behold, I have told you. So they went out from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples word. Father in heaven, we look to you today, the God of the word, and we read this powerful account of your son and how death could not hold him. And we rejoice today because we know if death didn't hold him, that death will not hold us. And so we pray to you today as we study your word as an act of worship, Lord, would you speak to us, God? Would we hear the things that you are saying to the church? Give us the ears to hear that which the Spirit says to the church. And we do ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Jesus is risen, verses 1 through 10. After the Sabbath is how this passage starts. Now, as Jews, they would have sat on the Sabbath and and rested and observed the day, and they wouldn't have done anything. And so now it says, after the Sabbath. So it's Sunday, and two Marys come to Joseph's tomb that they had seen Jesus laid in. This was close to the place that Jesus was crucified. Now, they came to do a proper burial preparation on his body. Uh, Luke chapter 24, verse 1 tells us that they went to buy and prepare spices to anoint the body. How can you think of that today? And Well, anointing a body was a sign of love. It was devotion and respect. Bringing spices to the tomb is sort of like bringing flowers to a grave today. After this, typically the body would then decompose. When there was nothing left but bones, they would come and put the bones in a box, an ossuary, and they would leave that in the tomb, and then other family members would be put in there, and the same thing would happen, and that's kind of how they did it. When you think of a tomb, I want you to not to think of a grave, like we go to a cemetery and the grave's in the ground. I want you to think of a tomb as almost like a cave where you would be able to walk in and stand up in the thing. From the text, I want to point something out just to start with. These women, because we know they went to go buy spices, did they think Jesus was risen? No. His disciples expected that he was dead. We can tell that clearly from the scriptures. Another thing I'd like to point out that's kind of an aside is this, friends, is why people worship like Christians worship on Sunday. Because Sunday is the day that Jesus Came out of the tomb, and so that, that's why that happens. You, you might hear mixed things about, oh, we should worship on Saturday, we should do this, and you may have heard stuff like that. But this, friends, is why the church meets on Sunday. It's because Jesus has risen, and it was on a Sunday. Now, there was a great earthquake. It says here, and that is likely the result of the angel uh, rolling this large stone. Uh, From the door of the tomb, this large stone, you remember you saw the picture last time we were in here uh, studying Matthew, and it's, you know, a large disc-shaped stone that would have been um, positioned uphill from the door of the tomb, and then when the tomb, you know, when you wanted to seal the tomb, you'd roll this stone, even one person maybe could roll it with leverage to lock it into position. But once this stone was locked into position, it's not moving, right? Uh, It was going to take a tremendous force to do it. And that's what we see happening here is we see an angel rolling this stone. And as a result, it's likely this earthquake came as a great result um, of that. And the guards shook, verse 3, for or going on here, the guards shook for fear of him. Sorry, that's verse 4. And they became like dead men. When angels appear in the scriptures, these beings... It's not like Charmin. You guys remember the Sharman little angels with the cherubs? You know, the harp, you know, harp solo. These angels are terrifying. These beings are terrifying to people when they appear to them in the scriptures. And, and in fact, the, the common greeting that you hear, look at verse 5. This is most commonly how they respond to people is they say, do not be afraid. Because if they hadn't have said that to you, you would be terrified, right? Very like these guards and I think that there's an interesting contrast here and I and I don't want to read too much into this but these guards who are Roman trained killing machines in darkness they come like dead men they faint at the sight of this pure this radiant being and we find that the women they don't it's it's kind of interesting I, like I said I'm not going to try to interpret that it's just an ob- observation that I've made of the text Verse five, do not, do not be afraid. Verse six, he is not here for he is risen. Now, can you imagine, just try to imagine the, the pounding hearts that these gals must have had right then. The whole scene, the angel, do not be afraid. And then where's Jesus? And then to hear these words from these beings, he's not here, he is risen a moment ago, moments ago, coming in disappointment, all the hopes that we had that he was the Messiah, he's, he's dead. You can imagine. I want you to notice at the end of verse 6, this little comment where it says, as he said. I think that's extremely important. For he is not here, for he is risen, as he said. I love this detail. Many times Jesus told his disciples that he would be delivered up to evil men, that he would be crucified, and that he would rise again. Why did they come expecting to find him? Sometimes we overlook the significance of the prophecies. There there are people that are very interested in prophecy and, you know, what about the prophecy of Daniel? What about the 70 weeks? What about, you know, where's Israel and all of this stuff in Isaiah and the Old Testament? And and those things are very fascinating, powerful. Uh, But what about the prophecies of Jesus predicting his crucifixion, death, and resurrection? That we should ponder for a moment that this man predicted his death. You know, you can go to a website today and you could find out how you're going to die, you know, right? And I don't recommend it because it's like, you know, just entertainment purposes only. Like I went to the website and they told me this. This is a guy that told people how he was going to die and it came true just like he said. And when he came up out of the grave, it was all proven that he was not a deceiver. That's why I like that detail there. As he said there's a doctrine that the theologians uh, talk about where it comes to Scripture, and, you, and you've heard them talk about the inerrancy of Scripture. It means there's no errors in the original manuscripts. We don't say that about the translations. We say that about the original manuscripts. There are no errors. God got across everything that he wanted to get across. There's also another aspect of Scripture that um, the scholars call the infallibility of Scripture. That means that if God said it, it's going to happen. And this is further proof of that. Where, when Jesus said... Um, you know, I'm going to be handed over. Remember they said, give me a sign. And Jesus said, no sign will be given to this wicked generation except for the sign of Jonah who was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. And, And Jesus said, that's a sign because, see, he went into the fish and he came out of the fish and Jesus went into the ground and he came out of the ground, right? But Jesus predicted his death and his resurrection. And that's a very significant prophecy. Those are all significant prophecies that came to fulfillment right here. It's good to remember today that God's word is incapable of failing. You know, I don't, do you seek the scriptures for comfort? Do you seek the scriptures for direction in life? It's good to know that God's word, everything that's said in there will come to pass. It's always true. It cannot fail, right? The angels say, come see. Now, Jesus could have come out of the grave any way that he wanted to. The angel rolled the stone away that people might come and see and be convinced. And so he says, come and see. Now, others have suggested that throughout the years that Jesus simply went into a trance-like state and he later revived himself in the cold tomb. Some have said that the disciples wanted so badly for their Messiah to be resurrected that they hallucinated the whole thing you can refute that right from the text because they didn't even expect him to be alive. How can you say they wanted him to, they expected him so much, but they didn't expect it at all? Other objections have come up over the years that have all been refuted, but the truth is, is he's not here. He's risen from the dead, and the angels said, come and see. Now, Their heads must have been swimming at this point with all the implications of the resurrection. And I just want to point out a few before we move forward. Number one, the the resurrection of Jesus Christ validates his claim to be the Son of God. Number two, the resurrection validates Jesus' teaching as being from God, right? His teachings, his words, I only do the things that the Father tells me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It's validated. The resurrection proves that Jesus Christ stands victorious over death. The resurrection serves as a sort of prototype for you and me, that just like Jesus' body died and was resurrected, it's a, it's a prototype in a sense that this is what's going to happen to you, your body, your spirit is going to leave your body, the immaterial part of you is going to go, and this body is going to do whatever it's going to do, and then when you're resurrected, we're going to be resurrected to new life and new bodies again, just like the Bible says, and this serves as a prototype of that. The picture of baptism is realized in the resurrection, right? You're, you're buried under the water, symbolizing Christ's death, and you're aligning with his death, and you're coming up out of the water new, uh, in new life. And the resurrection proves these things. There's another thing that it proves. Do you ever pay bills online? You ever do that? Everybody does that anymore, right? You ever go to a website to pay a bill, and you put in your credit card info? And the page like freezes up. <laughs> I hate that, right? And then the, the little what call that the circle of what? The, the circle of death, right? And that thing's going, right? And you're like, has the payment been made or what, right? I wonder if the payment went through. Maybe I should refresh the page. Well, don't do that because you'll get charged again. And so you open your email and you see that there's a confirmation that says the bill's been paid. Wow. So like the circle of death, it really means nothing because the bill has been paid, right? And that's how I want you to think of the empty tomb. is essentially like that confirmation email that says the debt has been paid. The empty tomb proves that God the Father, the judge, the creator, the almighty has received Jesus' payment for your sin. He's received the payment and you can see the confirmation. Go ahead and come and see is what the angel said. Now, once for all, The debt of sin been paid. And go quickly, verse 7, and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I've told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples word I love this. Go quickly and tell his disciples. These women have seen with their eyes the amazing fact of the empty tomb, and they are commissioned to go quickly and tell the good news. Jesus is risen from the dead. Can you imagine the excitement of being these first two women to share that he is risen? I see a couple of gals sitting back there that, you know, proclaim Jesus. Can, I mean, can you imagine being the two for, you know, I am the first one that gets to say, you know, we, we get to go and take the gospel. This is interesting. There's really a great model for gospel proclaimers in this. Notice these words. Go quickly. There's some urgency to tell people about Jesus Christ. L- let, me, let me put it like this. You say you love your family members that aren't saved? <laughs> that there's some urgency to tell them about Jesus Christ, isn't there? Look at how uh, it says, go quickly there, right? Here's the next thing. It says, tell. You need to tell people. A lot of us, you know, we get you know knocked down by the world. It's a vicious place. And we say, I just want to show people how I'm a Christian. Well, listen, to preach the gospel... You must do it with words. And I'll tell you what, it carries a heck of a lot more weight when you also do it with your life, but it has to include the words to truly preach the gospel. Look at also, it says the content of the message, that he is risen, right? Go with urgency, tell people that he is risen and all the implications that go with that. And I like this really, this detail right here. Look at verse eight. Look at how they went in verse eight. They went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. And I think it's really interesting when you find that combination of those two attributes in a Christian, the fear of God and the joy of the Lord. Those two things make for a very powerful gospel proclaimer. Verse 9. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold Jesus met them saying, rejoice. So they came and they held him by the feet and they worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go tell my brethren to go to Galilee and there they will see me. I love that verse nine. As they went, they went in obedience to the angel's word to tell the other disciples the good news. I picture them almost beside themselves. You know, you wonder if it's like, did they like run into one another? Like, oh, oh, you know. And they, they're being obedient to Jesus' word. And as they're going almost beside themselves with anticipation, they know that they'll see him again. Doesn't it get you excited to know that you will see him? Something to think about. And you see this through the scripture. I think of Eliezer who was sent to go gather the bride for Isaac. And it says something really interesting in the the Old Testament that Pastor Chuck always pointed out. It says, as he went, it says, as I was in the way, the Lord led me. As I was going, God led me. And I draw that out of here because as they went, they met Jesus. As you are going, good things happen, right? The Christian that's sitting and waiting with no urgency, no message burning in their heart, no concern for the lost, not being obedient, the things don't happen like that to to, to those people. It's hard to steer a parked car is how they say it, right? Some of you know that. You've had great times in your life where you've seen the things happening as you were going, as you were being obedient. You didn't have every step figured out but you were just doing the next thing in front of you in obedience, in love for Christ, and you saw things happening. Some of you really want that back here today. I'm telling you, there's a lot of application right in here for you, for me. Jesus meets them saying, rejoice. It's interesting, a Greek commentator, R.T. France, talks about that, and it's kind of like he said, hey, hey, (laughs) you know, like just, hello. (laughs) It's awesome. Hey, here I am. Hi. And they held him by the feet. These women held his feet. That's a Near East custom of just showing obeisance, worship, and reverence to a king. And they hold his feet. And he says to them, don't be afraid. As his followers, there may be many dangers. His word of encouragement can move a fearful disciple along into his purposes. I love what he says in verse 10. He says, go tell my brethren. Now, he doesn't say, go tell those guys that all denied me. He doesn't say that. He says, go tell my brethren. They belong to me. They're my family. Go tell them. You know, this is the first time that Jesus calls them brethren. The jump from disciple to brethren Jesus sympathizes with our weakness. Maybe you look at yourself today here and you're like, I have just been weak in my walk with the Lord. I want you to be encouraged by this that Jesus called them brethren. He understands their weakness. He said to Peter, He said, The the flesh is weak. Your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. Jesus understands your weakness. That causes you to draw near to Christ. If you're in a season where you're recognizing your own weakness and you've failed and, and things are not what you would like them to be in your walk with the Lord, I want you to be very encouraged to go to Jesus, to understand that he calls you brother, he calls you sister. He's like, our, he's like the elder brother and God's our father and we're part of his family. We've been adopted into his family. You can take comfort in the fact today that Jesus doesn't decide based on your performance, who you are to him. He says, go to Galilee. Now, when you read the other just Gospels, you discover that Jesus went to Jerusalem first. You remember he goes in, just a, appears in a room, I remember doubting Thomas, I won't believe him unless I touch, all that stuff has taken place, and then go to Galilee, and Matthew leaves that out. I believe it's because, you know, Matthew is just really trying to, um, you know, get to the Great Commission, I think. I don't. Know. It's, just, it's just important to read all the different Gospels to get all the details filled in. So the Marys discovered the empty tomb sent by the angels to go to the disciples. Jesus meets them on the way and commissions them as well. Before moving on, I just want to reflect on the women for one more moment. They went in joy and fear with great urgency, determined to share the good news. Believers here today, we need, to, we need to go with this same urgency and these same things, because really it's the same message. They, you say, well, they saw him face to face, and if I had seen... Face to face, you know Jesus standing there and telling me to do this. Well, sure, I'd have urgency, but I'm sitting here today, and so I don't. I'm not going to put forth the same thing as they did then because I didn't see it. And I would ask you, I would say, are you a person of faith? Because if you're a person of faith, you believe that the same message, the same, it's the same situation, that He is risen and that His arms are open wide to give salvation to sinners. And that's the same thing. And you have the same commission, and I have the same commission. And there's no reason to approach that without that same urgency and that same fear and that same joy that these women have. Let me just ask a a question. Does the fact that Jesus is risen excite you as much today as it ever has? The world around you needs to hear that message. He's still alive. He's still ready to save. He's here. He's alive now. He wants to forgive you. He wants to give you salvation. He wants to give others salvation. He wants to use you to bring that message. Now, while they were going, verse 11, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priest all the things that had happened. When they had assembled with the elders and consulted together... They gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, Tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. And if it comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. So you get the picture of the guards that were commissioned to watch the tomb, Roman soldiers. They discover what's happened, and so... They go to the chief priests, the religious Jewish rulers, and then they tell them what happened, and then the chief priests get together with all the elders of the Jews, and they say, let's bribe these guards to say something different. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought through this, but this is a really bad bribe. Like this is, okay, tell him, his, tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. Does anybody see anything wrong with that? I shouldn't be sleeping. They shouldn't be sleeping. Amen. Because as a Roman soldier, if you fell asleep on the job, you're done for. Yeah. You're not just going to get terminated. You're going to get, like, killed for that. How about another one? This, this one. If you were sleeping, how do you know what happened? how about this one all of you guards were at sleep all at once uh, these disciples moved this rock this massive rock took a body out of the tomb and you didn't hear anything nobody woke up oh we all took melatonin man we've been just getting the best sleep of our life it's just been so good we had turkey Why would you take such great care to take the body out like was described in the Gospel of John and where the, like the, you know, there was a cloth that was folded, you know, the grave clothes were taken off? Why, how long would that have taken, for one, and why would you have done that? And you know, It doesn't add up. That's why it needed to be a bribe. I want to just point out one thing here, that these religious people, these Jews, rather than go, wow, something has happened here, we should examine the evidence for the resurrection. Rather than do that, they were content just to try to cover the whole thing up. And I would suggest that to you today, that there are a lot of people rejecting Christ where you could say to them, why don't you study some of the evidence for this stuff? And they would rather not do that because they'd rather continue in their sin and darkness. Verse 14, we will appease the governor and make him make you secure. So if the governor finds out, we'll give him a whole bunch of money. Listen, Like Deanne pointed out, these guys would have lost their lives, so it must have been a large sum of money. Some people are willing to pay a whole great price to avoid coming to the grips of uh, the fact that he's risen. Now, verse 15, so they took the money and they did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Although this and many other sayings have circulated over history, the evidence points to the fact that he is risen. Nothing else stacks up. One of the unshakable and unmovable great foundation stones of our faith is the historic evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here, you and I can stand and do battle for the faith because we have a situation which cannot be contradicted. It can be denied, but it cannot be disproven. And so that's the comment from the believer's Bible commentary. Jesus is risen. His resurrection cover-up attempt attempted. And now Jesus will tell his disciples what he wants his people to be doing until he returns. I remember very vividly the last time that I spoke with my grandpa. And I sat with him uh, the night before he went into hospice and I heard his last words. As I was sitting with him, we were listening to the Pilgrim's Progress audiobook. And I didn't really know what to do. I was kind of scared by the whole fact, like my grandpa's dying and I was a brand new Christian. I didn't know what to do. So I was like, let's listen to Pilgrim's Progress. And you know, I didn't know. And we were listening to Psalms and the audiobooks. And at one point, you know, because when people are dying of cancer, they just, you know, it's interesting to watch, you know. And if you've seen it, it's, I mean, it's sad, you know. And, but he gets up at one point and he looks at me and he goes, oh, Adam, I'm not getting out of here alive. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then we tried to help him to the bathroom for the last time in the house. And um, You know, it's really interesting, isn't it? When somebody's going to die, you pay real careful attention to their last words. He also pay very careful attention to the last words when somebody's leaving. And these are the last words of Jesus before he left his disciples to, you know, to return to heaven. Verse 16, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. So, a period of about 40 days has taken place. Here are the eleven disciples and read the other Gospels to fill in the details. During this period, Jesus appeared to many people. Paul says, I think speaking of this time that he appeared before 500 people at once. I think it's talking about this. And when they got there, they worshiped him. It says in verse 17. This word is so important as a Christian. Worship, let me give you a definition for it from the Lexham Dictionary. It says, worship is the reverential response of creation to an all-encompassing, magnificent God. Worship is the reverential response of creation to the all-encompassing magnificence of God. When we worship God, we're responding to how great He is responding to who he is. Ascribing worth to something is the basic understanding of what it means to worship. You could take it apart like this. You could say worth-ship. You're ascribing worth to something. It's very much like when people go to a rock concert and they really like the person and they ascribe worth to that person by paying the $200 ticket by having the poster up above their bed, by having bracelets, by writing their name on their trapper keeper. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that people ascribe worship to their favorite football team. They ascribe worth to their car. They polish it continuously because they're ascribing worth to it. They're making sacrifice for it. They're putting effort into responding to how great they think that thing is, right? But the disciples worship Jesus, and as Christians, we we look at that. We look at every single thing on this horizontal plane in this created realm, and we say nothing compares to the worth of Jesus. I will bow down before nothing on this planet, no man, no woman. But I will ascribe worth to the only one that is worthy of my worship. Right, and that's what they did: is they come and they ascribe worth to Jesus. They worship. Him As we sing, when you come in here and sing on a Sunday morning, you're worshiping. You're ascribing worth to Jesus. You're putting your heart into it? Good, because Jesus is worth it, right? The way that you study the Bible, the way that you read God's word is a matter of worship. The way that you get his word into your life and obey his word, it's a matter of worth. It's, of, it's worship. Jesus, you're worth it, so your word is worth it. You're worthy of my full attention. You're worthy of my heart. You're worthy of my life, right? The way we serve one another in this church family, the way that we love one another, is a matter of worship. What we do as Christians is a response to Jesus because he is truly worthy of praise, honor, glory, love, and so we worship him but I like what it says there next, but some doubted. It's really interesting. Maybe even with this, within this group, there are people that are doubting some things, about maybe about the Bible. It's okay. I want to tell you that God can handle your doubts. He can handle them all. And the scripture, I love the scriptures. This is one of the reasons I believe this is not, you know, not a fabrication is because who would write that? If I was going to write a story, I would write nobody ever doubted ever and they were all the best people ever and they worshiped the king and he was, but this, bo- this book is filled with human flaw, right? And, and people are honest about it and, and the authors are honest about it and that tells me that somebody is just reporting what happened and that's, that's amazing to me. They're probably thinking this is just too good to be true. Maybe you've thought that at some point in your life about Jesus and Jesus came and spoke to them and here are those last words before ascending that he gives in the gospel of Matthew there's some other ones in in Luke um you know after so Jesus gives this as the great commission and we we learn by Luke and Acts that Jesus tells them after you know he says go do this but he says also I want you to do something else in the beginning of Acts and you can read about that in the book of Acts uh you know chapter one and chapter two And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, he's speaking to the disciples based on all authority, Jesus is saying, all authority has been given unto me. When you say given, it's like, well, he, as creator, as God, Colossians tells us, all things were created through him and by him. This is a different realm now. Jesus is now the first risen from the dead over this new thing, the church, right? And so Jesus has always had all authority as God, and this is a different thing. Now he's got all authority based on all authority over the church, over all things. And he speaks to them on that authority, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Now, this is what is called the Great Commission. Go, therefore. Now, I love God's church. Even, I, I love it. I love God's church. And there are times in history where God's church has not done the right things. There are times, it's a big, huge family, and we're all messed up, you know. And I love God's church. But I want to say that there are a lot of Christians today that have settled for, come, therefore. Come, therefore. Instead of go, therefore, they've swapped these words out of go, therefore, and they're just perfectly happy with come, therefore. Or their interpretation of it is go, therefore, to a church on Sunday and listen to a guy talk. That's their interpretation of that, but that's not the the end of this. How's it, Paul Harvey saying? The the rest of the story. Go, therefore. Jesus' clear direction, you, yeah, you, go make disciples of all nations. What's a disciple? It's a student. It's a follower. It's somebody that gives their life to become like somebody else. That's what it is, just to be a disciple. It's a simple word. And he says we're to go baptize them. You all understand what baptism is. You're identifying with the triune God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. God's your Father, Jesus is your Savior. The Holy Spirit is the one that empowers you. Baptism is that picture where you say, I'm done with my own ambitions, hopes, plans, and life, and now I'm living for your ambitions, hopes, plans for my life, Jesus. And that's what baptism is. It's very simple. If you've ever been baptized, then you have said to the Lord, through your action, at least, the intention of it is always, you know, and you know that. You know that day that you went under the water and you came up and you said, I am living for Jesus and this is proof. All of you, look at this, you know, because I am associating with Jesus and his purposes and I live for him. And so we're to go out, we're to go therefore into all the nations, tell people about Jesus Christ, that he's risen, that he died for sinners and that he saves and then baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. I want you to notice a very important detail there. He doesn't say it in the names of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, right? It's a singular word. And it's a mystery that I honestly can't wrap my mind around, that God is three persons in one. He's one God with three persons. I, I don't understand it fully. And, and when I try to, I end up worshiping. <laughs> I end up saying, you're too great for me. I don't get it. But it's beautiful, you know. Verse 20 says, teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you. Please notice, teaching them to do what? Observe all the things that Jesus has commanded. Now, again, don't mishear me. I love God's church, and I don't want to put my hand on anything sacred. I don't want to do that at all. But I want to say that there are some that are satisfied with teaching them To listen on Sunday, and that's it. Teaching them how to download a Bible app and, and read a few verses, and these are good things. But Jesus' commission to all believers is to teach people to obey every single thing that he has taught us. And it's not just to teach people to know, it's to teach people to observe, which means to obey. That's the mission of the church, that's the mission of the individual Christian, that's the mission of every parent, That's the mission of every single Christian on this planet is to go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptize them, and teach them to obey. Now, I want you to take special note of one more word there, and that's in verse 20. Teach them to observe all the things that I have suggested to you. Did you notice something wrong with my interpretation there? It's not, these are not suggestions. If anybody can identify themselves as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, then you have to understand this is a commandment. And it is those that are going with urgency, going therefore to all nations, making disciples and teaching people to obey Jesus. Those are his followers, right? And that's what he's called the church to do. And God help us to do it. God help us. and the comfort of Christ. As you go out to do this, you might find that this is difficult and you know, it's interesting, but the greatest comfort that you're ever going to receive in life isn't a pep talk, having somebody say, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. You know, somebody should be telling you the truth and saying, you can't do it, you can't do it, you can't do it, unless you're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, unless you're uh, resting on what it says here, that I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That's the greatest comfort you'll ever have in life is that Jesus Christ is with you even to the end of the age, even to hospice, right? Jesus is with you even to the end of the age. And as you make disciples, as you go out in his name, as you are being obedient to his commission to be his follower, he's promised that he'll be with you in that endeavor. It's a beautiful thing. I want you to notice one final thing and then we'll make some application and the alls. All authority, all nations, all things, always. Jesus' command is to all believers of all generations in all nations. You might say today, and this is some practical thing for you to think about here how can I do this? If you're dialed into this and, and you're, you want to be obedient to this, you think, how, how can I do this? Well, first of all, start by praying and committing yourself to Jesus. When I read this passage, and especially recently when I've been challenged by some, some Christians that are further down the road than I am, I have to ask myself, and this is why I point this out first, I have to ask myself, am I really all that committed to Jesus because this is what Jesus has told me to do? And I have to examine my life, I say, am I really all that committed to Jesus like he, like he wants me to be? And I'm not trying to shame anybody, I'm trying to, I'm trying to bring that, uh, the, the truth of this is this is what Jesus has asked us to do. So number one, if you want to be obedient to this, you have to start by praying and committing yourself to Jesus. Right? Understanding this is his command. This is not the great omission. This is not the great suggestion. Next thing you can do is you can start seeing the people around you in your life as those that God wants to reach. Right? You can go to the gas station tomorrow and see a person that works at the gas station pumping gas, or you can see a person that Jesus Christ wants to reach right? And that's a choice. Like, that's why we started at number one and saying we need to pray and commit ourselves to Jesus Christ. If we commit ourselves to him, to his purpose, that changes how I look at everything, doesn't it? Right? Am I ever off duty? I mean, no. No. Next thing I would suggest is, you know, you say, I want to be obedient to this. I need to know how to do it. First of all, you know, commit yourself to Jesus, then see the world as Jesus sees the world. And then the third thing that I wrote here was, why don't you share what you know with Jesus, about Jesus with others? You say, well, I don't know everything in the Bible. I can't possibly share anything. I'll, I'll tell you this. If you can sit here today and you can be assured that you are saved, then you know enough to tell somebody else and they can be saved right? That's, that's a really bad excuse for, for, you know, I don't know enough about Jesus. To, are you sure you're going to heaven tonight? Yeah. How do you know? Well, I know Jesus Christ died for my sins. Guess what? You have, you have got the message. You know what these gals knew when they left with great urgency, fear, and joy, and they were obedient. You know that right there. People can get saved through you. You say, how can I do this? Well, you can do it in person. You could write a letter. You ever think about how easy it is to write a letter? I mean, people's address is right on their house. <laughs> you know what I mean? You could, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send Christmas cards to all my neighbors. You know, I, there's a gal that comes to our evening service that tells me that she, she used to send Christmas cards to her neighbors in her cul de sac and she wrote the gospel to people, you know? Uh, one was a particularly very liberal politician, and she'd not send her cards, you know, sharing the gospel and why abortion is evil and things like that. And, and it's pretty interesting. I mean, she just, you know, and, and this gal, you know, was like, I don't have a lot of energy. She's, you know, s- senior citizen, and, and, and it and stop her, you know? How's another way you could do this? If you're a young person, you, you know, you spend a lot of time on your electronic devices. Everybody does anymore. You could use electronic devices to share Jesus Christ. There's all there's all kinds of things that we can do. There's all kinds of tools that we can use. I don't think there's anything wrong with using all the tools that we have at our fingertips available to us to share the good news of Jesus with urgency, fear, joy, obedience. In conclusion, I just want to say the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the central event in human history. Jesus the long awaited Messiah king died as a sacrifice for your sins and was raised again to life. Isn't he worthy of everything? Isn't he worthy of everything? Because he is, let us be diligent to go and tell, making disciples that make disciples, comforted by the promise that he will always be with us until we see him again face to face. Amen.